morning, I'm Derek, and uh, it's my very great privilege to try as best I can to open up the Word of God, that we might grow by it, be changed by it, and live by it. But first of all, let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that your word might not just be black marks on a white page, that your word might not just be light on a computer or an iPad screen, that your word might not just be sound waves that enter our hearing, but that your word might be a vital part of our lives, more vital than food, water and air, because Without food, water and air, our earthly life will die. But through your grace and love and mercy and sacrifice of your Son, our eternal life will be released to live with you forever. So now, as we hear your word, may we be blessed by it, may we grow through it. For we pray this in the name of your word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All the way back when I was studying at what is now Christ College, what was then known as the Presbyterian Theological Centre, the wife of one of our senior ministers in the church, Pat Christian, the wife of Bruce Christian, used to take new ministers' wives aside and just tell them a few things. And one of the things that Pat said to the wives was, always have the entry to your house clean and one other room clean so that if people came to visit, they'd enter a clean room and you could sit them down in a clean room. It wouldn't matter what the rest of the house looked like. They would think the house was clean as long as they didn't venture as far afield. And isn't that really how we are often. Our outward appearance is that we're pretty right. We have our life together. We have everything on an even keel. We're cool, calm, collected. We do the right thing for the right people at the right time. We even do the wrong thing for the wrong people. Well, the right thing for the wrong people at the right time. We have our life in Jesus pretty much down pat. But if you scrape the surface, it's not always that way. You see, our our lives are made a mess of by sin. Now, let's be perfectly clear about sin. Sin, quite often, in fact... Sin is enjoyable. If we didn't enjoy sin, we wouldn't be tempted by it. let's, Let's be perfectly honest about this. Sin is attractive. Sin at times makes us feel great. Sin draws our attention away from the good things, the right things, and turns us towards that which we say is wonderful, but God says is an abomination. Through our earthly fallen eyes, sin is wonderful. And we only become aware of sin's horror 
of sin's destructive power when we encounter Jesus. It is through encountering Jesus that sin is put into its right perspective. And we see that the attractions of sin, which are transitory in one respect, are actually eternally damning in another. So an encounter with Jesus is an essential part of life if we are to live a life as God wishes us to live it. And always remember that we are created in the image of God. The only thing that distorts that image in us is sin. Were it not for sin, we would still be the perfect image bearers of God in the world. And so we meet this poor man. This man who is possessed by evil demons. It's a bit hard at times, and I I don't know whether you have the same problem that I do, but when I'm reading the conversation between Jesus and this man, I I quite often have a little bit of trouble trying to recognize who it is that's actually speaking. I, I know when Jesus is speaking, that's not the problem. But I'm never quite sure when it is the man speaking or whether it is the demon speaking through the man. And I think it's meant to be confusing. Because, you see, this man was totally possessed by these evil spirits. The image of God in this man had been totally defaced. These evil spirits had so destroyed that image that he was shunned by society. He couldn't be controlled. Like Adam and Eve, in a way, he wandered around naked, but his nakedness, with Adam and Eve, it was naked and they were not ashamed until sin came into the world. The nakedness of this man was something horrifying. He cut himself. He was dirty. He lived in amongst caves that were tombs with rotting corpses far on the outskirts of town. He didn't go into town, he roamed the hills, the mountains, the lakeside. Totally divorced from society, totally divorced from God, totally consumed and possessed by the demons. And Jesus says to the demon, what is your name? The answer is, my name is Legion. The Roman legion was upwards of 6,000 men. So it wasn't just one demon possessing this man. It was a legion of demons, an army of demons who had come in and totally taken over this man's thoughts, words and deeds that gave him supernatural power. He was almost a superman who could burst chains without any effort at all. He was absolutely uncontrollable in human terms. This is no mere naughty boy. This is a man who struck terror in the hearts of anyone who met him. This is a man who was so totally possessed by demonic powers that he could not mix with society. He was too big a risk. 
He was a danger to himself and he was a danger to everybody that encountered him. And we've got to get this picture pretty clear in our minds, just how far down the road of evil that this man had travelled. Quite frankly, there wasn't much further that he could go. He had no control over his own life and destiny. He was totally held in power by the demons who possessed him. Now, today is what? The 19th of November, 2017. I'm a 67-year-old man who's had quite a bit of experience of life. And here I am, standing out in front of you, talking about demons and evil spirits. Isn't that something to do with the Middle Ages? Haven't we grown out of that? Haven't we, with our scientific brains and knowledge, grown beyond those superstitions? Do we still have to worry about these demons and things? And and can't we just recognise that it's some sort of mental imbalance, some chemical or short circuit that's gone on in this man's mind? Well... A medical imbalance or a short circuit in a mind doesn't give you the ability to break chains. Let's rest assured that today, the 19th of November 2017, we recognise that the problems that beset this man potentially can beset each and every one of us in this world today. The power of evil, the demons of Satan are at work in this world. And do you know what his greatest victory is? He's convinced the world he doesn't exist. People might grudgingly acknowledge, yes, well, it probably is a god. But don't, don't, don't talk to me about this devil rubbish. I mean, that, that's just superstitious. It's garbage. We've grown out of that. We're, we're more sophisticated. We know psychology. We know about medicine. We don't need to talk about these demons. Look at this world around us. If this world is not riddled with evil demons, then I don't know what's going on. This world could not be as evil as it is by its own invention. This world is as evil as it is because it is possessed by evil demons. Let's not run and hide from the fact. But at the same time, Let's not be overly scared. We needn't be scared because of what we have recorded here in the Word of God. And as you read through this passage, and I encourage you to read through it again at home, just look at the way that Mark has recorded it. It it is an eyewitness account. Probably Peter told Mark all about this and gave Mark all the little details that Mark includes in his narrative. One who was there and saw everything that happened passed on to Mark, who then wrote it down for our benefit and for the glory of God. We have messy lives. To a greater or lesser degree, we are like this man. I speak for myself. I dare not speak for you. 
but I'd like you to look at your own lives and see whether there are some things in there that if other people in this room knew about them, they'd think totally differently about you than they do now. I have things in my life that would shock you, probably disgust you, and I think I can be brave enough to say there are some things in your lives that if I learned about them I'd be disgusted and shocked. That's just the nature of fallen humanity. But you know, even though I don't know what you're really like inside, what little things are seething away inside of you, God does. You have nothing that is hidden from God. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Even before we're aware of what we're going to think, do and say, God knows. That's how well he knows us. He is not fooled by our facade, by the mask we wear to show each other. He knows us intimately. He knows our messy lives. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, knows also. So don't think for one minute that when Jesus stepped out of that boat and this man came and fell at his feet, that Jesus was surprised, shocked, or wondering what on earth is going on. Jesus knew precisely what was going to happen. He knew precisely who this man was. He knew precisely what this man was like. Jesus had made his base in Caesarea. But they went from the western side of the Sea of Galilee across to the eastern side. And follow it in your Bibles there. They went across the lake to the region of the Gergesenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, now that's an understatement, isn't it? A man with an impure spirit. Then we go on to learn what this man's really like. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. No doubt the people that had gathered there with Jesus and the disciples had journeyed with him, when they saw this man, this dirty, filthy, probably long hair, tangled up with cuts and bleeding on his body, they'd have drawn back. Those who lived in the area who really knew what this man was like would probably draw back even further. But not Jesus. You see, this is the beauty of Jesus. 
Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus doesn't wait for you to be good enough for him to love you. Jesus doesn't wait for you to earn the benefits of his cross death at Calvary. Jesus doesn't wait for you to earn his love, his saving grace. Jesus meets you where you are and he knows where you are. I don't, but Jesus does. And does it scare him off? Does it make him cringe? No. Does it make him take a step back and hold his nose? No. Jesus meets you where you are, fully knowing where you are, who you are, what you are like, woes, all those things that you hide from every other person in this world. The things that you have buried deep inside you that not one other person knows about, Jesus knows intimately. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. There was something in this man that had a residual of awareness beyond demonic possession. Because he ran to Jesus. He knew about Jesus and somehow I guess he knew that Jesus had come to this place on this day at this time to meet him. And so he fell at his feet. And this is where, whether it's the man speaking or the demon speaking, it gets very confusing for me, so I'm just going to read it the way that Mark writes it. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. I suspect at that stage it is the spirits speaking through the man. But perhaps it's the man speaking himself because he's just so possessed by the spirits there's hardly any way to differentiate between the two. This man knows that Jesus is the son of the most high God Yet in the name of that very same God, he says, don't torture me, don't touch me, leave me alone, go away, leave me in peace. Let me continue to torment this poor man. Go away. We want nothing to do with you. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Not just one spirit, but thousands of spirits. Perhaps not the 6,000, that's the upper limit of a Roman legion, but later on we get an indication as to quite a number of spirits with what happens as a result of Jesus' encounter with this man. Just go away and leave us alone. Why was Jesus such a threat to the demons? Well, as we look at the description of the man, 
in possess, as possessed by the demon, we get a very distinct impression that what this demon is trying to do, or these demons are trying to do, is to totally destroy the image of God in this man. I'll say again, remember back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were naked before the fall, they felt no shame. Yet this man and his shame drives people away in his nakedness, in his filth, in his bleeding cuts. There is no beauty in this man's nakedness. There is no beauty in this man at all. The demons have destroyed as best they can the image of God in this man. And that's what they're out to do. Totally destroy in a relationship that he or we have with God. What is your name? My name is Legion. For we are many. You see, our messy lives don't keep Jesus away from us. They might keep our neighbour They might even keep members of our family away from us. But they won't keep Jesus away. When Jesus decides to encounter you, he will encounter you in the messiest situation that you could ever find yourself in. And he won't be driven away by that. But he won't leave you like that either. Because when we encounter Jesus, we encounter power in its purest and rawest form. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. We are now, we are in the presence, we know we're in the presence of you, the son of the almighty God. We know that you are going to drive us out of this man. We know that you are going to thwart our efforts to destroy the image of your father in this man, but at least let us have an effect on some part of God's creation. Send us into those pigs over there so that we can at least do our worst in them. Jesus gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. 2,000 sheep, uh, uh, goats, uh, pigs, Possessed by the evil spirits. As I said, it may not be the 6,000 of a Roman legion, but there are an awful lot of evil spirits possessing this man. And if Jesus had shunned him, if Jesus had walked the other way, if Jesus had said, I want nothing to do with you, you filthy hound, this man would have been totally destroyed. Whenever we meet Jesus, we're changed. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, 
They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had been told, seen it, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Why? Why would they want Jesus to leave? Perhaps they didn't want Jesus interfering with their lives. Perhaps they were afraid that if they spent any time with this Jesus, as we read later in the Gospels, that Jesus spent time with the Samaritans after he met the Samaritan woman at the well, they might be forced to change their life. They might be scared of the fact that if they spent any time with Jesus, they would be left with no option but to change their lives. And they enjoyed sin too much. Wasn't it St. Augustine who said, Save me, Lord, but not just yet? He was enjoying his sinful way of life too much to want to give it up at that particular point in time. There might also have been a financial business attached to this. 2,000 pigs would probably have been worth quite a bit of money. Remember, this is a Gentile area. This is not a Jewish area. The Jews would not have had pigs because they're an unclean area, an unclean animal. But this is Jesus gone out of the Jewish community into a Gentile community where pigs were acceptable and they just didn't want their economy wrecked. Sort of like rich nations in the world today when confronted with starving nations in the world today say, well, we could give them enough food to keep them alive but we don't want to risk their economy. A healthy economy is obviously, obviously more important than a healthy life. It's more important to keep the economy on track than to save just a few people in a village that really don't matter much anyway. The world will keep circulating without them, so we can do without them, but the economy must be kept right. The reaction of these people was, Jesus, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you. And that's the world out there. Get out of here, Jesus. We want nothing to do with you. We want our lifestyle. Even if it means changing the laws of the nation, we want our lifestyle to live the way we want to live and we want nothing to do with you. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. You notice the difference? The people were pleading with Jesus, go away. The man is pleading with Jesus, please let me come with you. Encounter with Jesus, 
brings about a change in us. An encounter with Jesus demands a response. Get away or come closer. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy upon you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Do you know what we have here? We have the first Gentile missionary. The first non-Jew to go out and proclaim the gospel to a people who knew nothing about it. This is the father of missionary work. That's how much this man was changed. From being shunned by society, by being, from being feared by society, he goes out into that society and proclaims the good news of what God does with Jesus. How do we encounter Jesus? Well, we can't touch him today because physically he is in heaven seated at the right hand of God. But we have the revealed word of God here, the inspired word of God, the true word of God that proclaims in words and in message and in miracles and in parables the truth about the kingdom of God and God's desire for you and for me. And his desire is that we should meet with Jesus. That we should meet with Jesus where we are so that God can take us to be where he wants us to be. It may not be where we want to be. This man wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, you stay here. You might think, gee, I'm only a street sweeper. I'd love to be a preacher. No, you can be a preacher and a messenger and a revelation of Christ as you sweep the streets. Christ can use you where you are, but can change your heart so that where you are is of service to him. Two questions for you this morning. Have you really encountered Jesus? really encountered Jesus. Not, not just skip through the Bible and read a few words and say, oh, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've read that before. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay, I suppose that's possible. Or have you met with Jesus? The Word made flesh. And having encountered Jesus, what's your reaction? Please, Jesus, get out of my life. Or please, Jesus, take my life. An encounter with Jesus demands one or the other. What's it been with you?